From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Weekends are better when you spend it with us. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Well, welcome back and thank you for spending your weekend here with us at TNT Radio. And last hour we heard from Lynn Shaw from Lynn's Warriors and Lynn is working tirelessly to protect the children in this horrific scenario of human trafficking. And of course, that was a very broad brushstroke that we got from Lynn. And in this hour, we're going to continue down a separate pathway, but completely linked up. We're going to be talking about Epstein justice. That's right. So we've heard about the problem. Now we're going to hone in on another area specifically related to this character, Jeffrey Epstein, who apparently took his own life in a prison cell shortly before having to find out whether or not he was going to, well, be not only charged, but uh, to face trial in uh, just what would have been the tip of the iceberg. But of course, that all went by the wayside. We then learn a little bit later that Ghislaine Maxwell, his offside, a partner in crime, uh, was eventually charged with a series of uh, crimes and is now serving about 20 years behind bars, but has yet to give up any names involving her client list. But of course, there was the big hoo-ha at the beginning of this year, January 1, that came out a few days later, of a list of Epstein associates. And most of that was focused on Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton, and of course, the name of Donald Trump had to be brought up in there somewhere because that's how you obfuscate from the reality that this isn't really a bipartisan problem as much as Donald Trump started investigating the human trafficking. It was a way to sort of put everyone's name in it. So most people would want to put a lid on it and not talk about it. Well, not talking about it is not the order of the day here at TNT Radio. In fact, we talk about everything. And this is one of the big, big stories of our time. And joining me this hour is Lieutenant Colonel Retired Peter Shin, or Pete, has an extensive background in the US Air Force as a trainer, journalist, and adult educator. He also served as an executive officer for the Continental NORAD Region Air Operations Center and as a liaison between the Secretary of the Air Force and US Senate Appropriators. He's also the Associate Director of Epstein Justice. Pete, Welcome to Weekends with Jason Olborn. Well, Jason, thank you very much for having me, and I'm delighted to be here and delighted to be on Australian radio. It's a pleasure. Well, thanks very much, Pete. I really appreciate your time, and it is such an important issue. Can you tell us how it was that you got to be involved with EpsteinJustice.com? I can, and thanks for bringing up the name of EpsteinJustice.com, which is the website of the organization Epstein Justice, which was founded by Nick Bryant, a noted investigative journalist who broke the lid wide open on an enormous child sex trafficking ring that operated out of Omaha, Nebraska in the late 80s and early 90s. He published a book about that called The Franklin Scandal, and it's available on his website at nickbryantnyc.com. But I got involved because my adult son, who lives in Omaha, Nebraska, along with an adult daughter, brought up the subject to me because he had a friend who had had kind of a rough childhood who all on the streets, it was well known that child trafficking had occurred in the context of what was known as the Franklin scandal. And this is still true today in Omaha. If you go to anywhere in Omaha, in fact, I just went to Omaha, Nebraska, just some months ago, not two, three months ago, as a matter of fact, and I went to a diner with a friend of mine 
And I was talking about this subject with my friend who is not related to this matter in any way. And my server said, oh, yes, the Franklin uh, child trafficking thing. I know all about that because I was a child on the street in the 80s and 90s, and we all had to be aware of that. So Nick Bryant broke the lid right off, right off of that. And so I read that book because my son brought it up to me as someone who lived in Omaha who had brought it to his attention. And when I read that book, that's a story jason of the united states government and a number of powerful agencies combining to crush victims and make sure that their stories weren't told and that justice wasn't served and that's a separate story but that's how i became involved with nick because i wanted to talk to him as the author of that book about that subject i found it fascinating and i found nick relatively easy to reach out to easy to talk to and then we got on the subject of Jeffrey Epstein and his crimes. And once he and I began discussing that, it became clear to both of us that there was a serious lack of accountability and that it appeared that the United States government had some sort of interest in ensuring that Jeffrey Epstein and his associates did not face accountability for his crimes, which we should mention were horrific. Hundreds of children abused, trafficked, and well in right in front or under the noses or in front of the faces of some of the highest ranking people in politics in finance in entertainment and no one did anything about it and still with the exception of Ghislaine Maxwell no one has been held accountable for their actions and their inactions so uh, I encouraged Nick to found Epstein Justice as a nonprofit organization to help raise awareness of the lack of accountability and the lack of action by our own government in addressing this serious issue. Now, as a Lieutenant Colonel serving in the US Air Force, as a journalist, when you see that there is no government will to get to the bottom of it in the Franklin scandal and also in the Epstein scandal, what does that say to you in terms of your expertise of what is really going on behind the story there, Paul? That's a great question, Jason. And first of all, I think I should make clear and will make clear that my comments are my own. I'm a retired lieutenant colonel, and I don't speak for the Department of Defense, the United States government, obviously, or and I have no official position with any of those organizations anymore. But what I will say is that I do have a background in military history. In fact, my master's degree is in military history, and I'm a historian as much as anything else. And what it says to me when there is a lack of accountability around these issues is that when we look historically at, at the issue of accountability in the United States government, we see at its core intelligence agencies that are not accountable to Congress and therefore not accountable to the American people. I don't know if Jeffrey Epstein was an intelligent intelligence agent. I don't know that. What I do know is that there were published reports, including one by Vicki Ward, that suggested that uh, that uh, Acosta, I'm afraid Acosta's first name escapes me. Was it Jim Acosta? Was it Jim? Uh, no, not Jim no, Acosta. He's no, on that's CNN. A, that's right. That's uh, it was the former Labor Secretary for, for out, Donald yes. Trump who was also then the person who facilitated the sweetheart deal for Jeffrey Epstein when uh, Acosta was a district attorney for Southern Maryland, for the District of Southern Maryland with the U.S. Justice Department. In any event, uh, he said when he was interviewing for the job of labor secretary with the Trump administration, hey, that sweetheart deal, nothing to worry about there. I was told from on high that uh, he was an intelligence asset and don't worry about it. 
I'm paraphrasing, but those were those were apparently the words that he said to his handlers who were vetting him for that Labor Department post. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, Jason. What I do know is that it hasn't been investigated. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been brought to light. And that's just one example of the type of corruption that is clearly underneath the uh, inability to hold anyone else accountable for these crimes besides Ghislaine Maxwell. And let's not forget that Epstein himself was never held accountable. Was he put in a prison cell? Yes. But I've read the Bureau of Prisons report on his suicide. And what it is clear from that report, uh, Jason, is that he was essentially allowed. He was given the opportunity to commit suicide if he wished to do so. And you have to ask yourself, why was he put in conditions that would allow him to com commit suicide if he wanted to do so when he was the most wanted and most reviled man in America at that time? Now, I've been with the government long enough never to chalk up to conspiracy what can be attributed to incompetence. On the other hand, I also know that high profile people tend to get high profile attention and the failure to do so in that case simply points even more figure, fingers at an overwhelming lack of, or perhaps an overwhelming series of questions, if you will, that the government apparently has no interest in answering. Goodness me, there's so much to unpack, isn't there? I, rem I remember um, uh, re-watching uh, the film Reversal of Fortune, the story of Klaus von Bühler, who hires um, uh, the lawyer, uh, Alan Dershowitz, to, um, to to get him off in this particular case. And he makes the point that if he's to be found guilty, he wants the option to be able to take his own life as the gentlemanly thing to be able to do here. So it's interesting that you bring that up, that Epstein was afforded the opportunity, if he wanted to, to have the space to be able to take his own life, almost as if he's in some sort of club with the inverted commas word gentleman used there. So it's one of those wink-wink scenarios. It's quite shocking when you think of it. And the idea that you bring up... Um, um, of uh, never never considered perhaps a conspiracy that could be put down to incompetence, or of course, what isn't that the ultimate cover story? Let's make it look incompetent, and therefore we can cover up said conspiracy that's going on. I do um, uh, I do have uh, many questions concerning Epstein's link to uh, intelligence agencies. Now I'll just provide some of the, the some of the work that I've sort of looked at over the years. I remember picking up that someone had picked up that one of Epstein's aeroplanes uh, had a CIA call sign call number on its on its tail. That that's an interesting point there. Uh, there was uh, the fact that Jeffrey Epstein was hired by former Trump uh, Attorney General Bill Barr's father as an unqualified um, a teacher at one of the universities that he was involved with, which says to me that if you would pick up Epstein unqualified to teach, then that would suggest that Barr's father had some sort of connection to intelligence, which therefore says that Barr himself must be somehow associated. If we consider Ghislaine Maxwell's father, Robert Maxwell, was many considered to be a perhaps even a triple agent. MI6 CIA Mossad. Therefore, one has to wonder if Ghislaine had to have some form of connection. And of course, her sisters are high up and connected to all sorts of ideas there. So these connections uh, that we see that people uh, of, of, of certain families, bloodlines, etc., just walk into these roles that afford them. The fact that Ghislaine Maxwell had a submersible license given to her by the United Nations that she could pilot anywhere she wanted in the world. And it just so happened that uh, little St. James Island had a little area that she could just drive her or 
pilot her uh, submersible in, perhaps to bring in or to take out um, uh, goods, chattels, etc. in those scenarios. See, the, the opportunity, therefore, um, when we talk about it from a, a legal perspective and motive, et cetera, it seems that there was ample opportunity. And if there's ample opportunity, shouldn't any good investigator therefore be able to explore and investigate where such opportunities arise? But on the contrary, what we see is, no, we don't need to look at that and just look the other way. But with all of these alarming, glaring facts about Jeffrey Epstein, surely to goodness, somebody in authority has to stand up and, or a brand new attorney general, perhaps. Imagine if it was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. stood up next year and said, okay, we're going to have a good look at this because uh, Mr. Chris Ray, who's decided that he hasn't got the time to look into it, uh, we might order that the FBI director starts investigating. Could we be confident perhaps that it might just be a change of government for perhaps a change of political will at the very least to start getting some real questions asked in these circles? Because it seems like from the outside, those who have the power are those that are saying, no, we don't need to look under these uh, under these covers for the real problems here. Well, that's a that's an excellent point, Jason. And, and and from the standpoint of both Nick Bryant, the founder of Epstein Justice, and myself, it will take a mass movement in order to drive government will towards finding some of the facts that and answering some of the obvious questions that apparently at this point no one in power has a significant interest in answering. And what does that require? A mass movement. Well, it requires millions and tens of millions of people saying, hey, this is enough, enough of the exploitation of our children, enough of wealthy, privileged people living one kind of life and having one kind of justice and everybody else in the United States and having, a, a, if you will, a graduated justice system based on your level of income and your level of wealth. And that is what this whole case reeks of, is that there's a one system for some people and then a totally different system for others. And there's many cases in American society right now where that appears to be the case, if we're talking about any number of issues. But this one, I think, really presses a button on the American public that where they ought to say, you know what, at this point, enough is enough. We have to rise up as an American people and just simply say, we want answers to all of these unexplained issues. And we'd like to know how it is that an uneducated man rose from literally nothing to be able to commit all of these crimes with impunity with all of the most powerful people on earth. How is that possible? And why wasn't he stopped? And why isn't anybody else being held accountable? Why? We'd all like to know, but it's going to take, I think, a mass movement of millions of Americans to make that happen. It's an extraordinary scenario, isn't it? Uh, where there's no political will, then you pretty much know where your answer is. It's quite similar to the idea that the government can tell you what to inject under your skin, even if it's experimental, even if it uh, is not proven to do anything, even if it fails, they're still out there pushing it. But then you say to the government, what about the origins of said virus? Are you interested in, in finding out who made it, how they got it out there? And there's just no political will whatsoever, which for mine just indicates complete complicitness, or at least the idea that we've been 
told to look the other way and we will. Therefore, we're subservient to some hidden hand yet again. And it's this hidden hand that's really concerning about Epstein, uh, the idea that, uh, that that so many people, he's got so many associations and we'll explore. We're going to take a break in just a moment. And when we come back, I want to explore with Pete a little bit more about who Epstein was involved with, how high up the food chain he really was and how it is that he got so many free passes to the point where he was allowed to, uh, as Pete said just before, to give him the opportunity if he wanted to, to take his own life in prison, which is kind of how this story has played out to this point. But the Epstein story is far from over and we'll keep exploring after the break here on Weekends with Jason Olborn. You're watching and listening to TNT. TNT's Mark Morano. This just in. We have a new way that's proven effective in dealing with climate protesters who deign to block highways, streets, and other public areas. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this appears to be the most effective way. We have a uh, we have a field shot, a correspondent on the scene. Let's go to clip four and take a look at how to deal with climate protesters when they block your way on your morning commute. I don't want to see protests shut down, but obviously when you're blocking traffic and you're doing that, you need to be dealt with. I thought this was a great vigilante way of dealing with it. Mark Morano on today's News Talk TNT. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit. 
at SalemNow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour, retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel Pete Shin, and he also represents as an Associate Director of EpsteinJustice.com. What Pete doesn't know about Epstein probably is not worth knowing. But Pete, I want to talk to you, go back a little bit now, and I want to get an idea because there's an, a, we alluded to the connection between government and unaccountable spy agencies. For mine, and I still can't get past it, but it started in 1963 when JFK was taken out. It seemed that without the willingness to get to the bottom of the lone gun theory and make that the uh, the end of the story, that a can of worms was opened at that point. And it seems that um, the spy agencies, definitely through their man, George H.W. Bush, who was, of course, the director of the CIA, who became vice president and then president, who claims to not remember where he was the day JFK was shot, and yet there are photos Photographs at uh, Dealey Plaza of him standing there with his hands in his pockets in that signature pose. One wonders if that was the turning point in US history. But can you kind of explain the connection between unaccountability and how government perhaps operates in today's world? Well, so the way the US government is supposed to operate, and I apologize for, for giving your listeners a US civics lesson, but basically the US system is designed not to function. Uh, it was designed by the founders not to get much done and the founders mission accomplished. They don't get much done. But when it comes to what the role of Congress is over the executive branch, it's twofold. One, it is to fund it. The executive branch can't do anything without money. It is Congress's job to provide that money and control what happens then, provide oversight of, of, of federal activities, of the, of the activities of the executive branch, and actually also the judicial branch. So Congress has a huge role in making sure that things are operating as they're supposed to, as according to the will of the people. It's congressional oversight that makes sure that that happens. Well, let me tell you how congressional oversight happens in practice. There are committees, and then there are individual offices of senators, and they're briefed by people from the executive branch. Sometimes those briefings take place in what are known as special compartmentalized information facilities or SCIFs. And in those meetings, oftentimes, you'll have a director of an agency or a four-star general, and you'll have a single senator or two or three members of a committee. No staffers, just a group of people at this level. There's no way in that scenario, Jason, that these senators can really check what is being told to them by the executives, be they four-star generals, leaders of intelligence agencies, leaders of various department, cabinet departments. How in the world can these senators who aren't allowed to have staffers with them in these meetings check on what is being told to them? And the answer is they really can't. And oh, by the way, it is also worth noting, I'm not saying that any particular U.S. senator isn't mentally sharp. But what I am saying is that many of them are 75, 80, 85 years old and older. And so they're sitting alone. I know how my 73-year-old sister sometimes can get confused about certain things. And I'm just telling you that congressional oversight is limited in terms of what it can do against the sprawling federal bureaucracy, especially when there is an adversarial relationship between the executive branch and the congressional and the congressional branch. And I will tell you that just from the standpoint of budget operations of the Department of Defense, it was clear to me that the Department of Defense didn't always want 
uh, clear and unambiguous uh, sharing of information with the congressional branch. And you can imagine how much more, uh, let's say, how much less uh, an interest there is in a clear and unambiguous reporting to Congress by the intelligence services, of which there are many in the United States. So what I'm suggesting to you is that Congress has a very difficult time uh, accomplishing its oversight tasks under the best and most cooperative of situations. And when we're talking about the U.S. intelligence services, by definition, we're not talking about cooperative and friendly and helpful agencies to help Congress oversee what they do. So that's just a fact. And that is the only way that the American people have insight into what these intelligence agencies are doing is through congressional oversight, which we know, which I know firsthand, to be limited, challenged, and frankly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, insufficient, I think, is the word I'm looking for here. And if you look at historically speaking, you could say, well, gee, Pete, what is what evidence is there that the intelligence agencies do things that aren't in line with the will of the American people? Well, let's start with Iran-Contra. Let's uh, go back even further to targeted assassinations as uncovered by the Church Committee in the late 1970s. Or we could take a look at MKUltra when your U.S. intelligence agencies were feeding psychedelics to people without their will. And there are, in fact, several other uh, examples that could be uh, shared where our U.S. intelligence agencies have operated in direct contravention of the will of the American people. That's a fact. It's not even up for dispute. These are historical facts. And so uh, when you when we have a system that is not held to account, where there is a lack of oversight, you're going to have abuses. And that's what we have. And therefore, in essence, the American people have a shadow government where we have people who are unelected, unaccountable, with very little oversight, who are making decisions about what's in the best natural, what's in the national interest and what's in the best interest of the American people, according to them. And that's not a situation that is compatible with democracy or with even a republic, in my opinion. Oh, look, just lapping up what you're saying there, Pete, um, there's another term that uh, gets up my nose uh, com repeatedly. It's when they say for reasons of national security, it's almost like a blanket excuse. Hang on a second. We were talking about somebody ordering a pizza and a beer and you said, oh, no, we can't talk about that because it's matters of national security. It just seems to be the blanket excuse that can be used for absolutely anything. And there you have it, that you understand that the system is designed in a way to protect that in intelligence that's operating in its own little world uh, and therefore one uh, senator in a room of a compartmentalized a little skiff as Pete ex explained there uh, the idea of classified information and therefore it is completely limited so it's almost as if the elected official is just being told the way that it is and therefore compartmentalized and can't say much about it we saw in, in a separate issue and I'm not going to talk about it today but um, with that whole ET disclosure thing that was going on last year in the Congress pretty much the same thing when Dave Grush came out and was able to provide information but only limited amounts of information and so of course the story doesn't get to go very far and so you see that this is a holding pattern that absolute power is able to use and it's this holding pattern that what we're trying to do now is to unravel the information piece by piece in the greatest 
unwrapping of a jigsaw puzzle to mix my metaphors that we've ever seen. Pete, what I want to do now is talk about a subject that I feel like for for, for most of the time I'm talking to myself, it's a uh, an organisation that I discovered through somebody else on social media, and then I've shared it many, many times and talked about it, but it seems that not many people are aware of this strange organisation called the Lifeboat Foundation. You can find it at lifeboat.com. And if you go there right now, if you're uh, near your computer, you'll see that there's an about page. And when you see that about page, you'll realize that this has got a very strange mission statement that mixes up nanotechnology, viruses, cures, and if it all fails, building space colonies to go if it all turns bad. So how is it that this organization, is it just pretend or not? It's got some 3,000 board members, all of whom have got MAs, PhDs as their qualifications. You wonder where this comes from. But the story behind the story is that in the Wayback Machine, if you Google it, you can find that Jeffrey Epstein once stood on two advisory boards, one on the finance board and one on the futurist board. And it provides you his resume, presumably written by him, because it even has a link to his LinkedIn profile, his blog, and his Twitter feed. I'm sure they're all gone now because this is just a still shot of what's going on. But it says Jeffrey Epstein is a financier and science philanthropist. He is the chairman and CEO of the Financial Trust Company and the founder of the Jeffrey Epstein Four Foundation. Okay, that's pretty normal. But get this, Jeffrey is a former member of the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, the New York Academy of Science, and a former Rockefeller University board member actively involved in the Santa Fe Institute, the Theoretical Biology Initiative at the Institute for Advanced Study, the Quantum Gravity Program at the University of Pennsylvania, and once sat on the Mind, Brain and Behaviour Advisory Committee at Harvard University, also a member of the Edge Foundation. What it doesn't tell you is that he was a prolific human trafficker for 25 years. How is it that with all of that information, Pete, with all of that access to said intelligence agencies, no one was able to point out that Epstein was, in fact, involved in this clandestine business? It kind of says that they have to be in on it. There's no other way around it. How do you rationalize this? You know, it's difficult to rationalize it. I don't rationalize it. What I, what I say is that it's evidence to me that uh, Epstein had every interest in being perceived as a smart person, in being perceived as someone who was erudite. And it should be noted that he did apparently have an interest in some of these biological issues and uh, sort of, you know, there's a whole undertone of uh, kind of Nazi thought and racism and eugenics underneath all of that as well, which I find extremely distasteful. Uh, in fact, there are some who believe that there are people who, uh, that the technology does exist and that there are perhaps people who have indeed cloned themselves. I could see Jeffrey Epstein being the sort of narcissist who might attempt to do that, or who might have actually had it done. Uh, but all of that being said, as a practical matter, he wove, did Epstein, a cloak of respectability about him. And yet at the same time, he tried to do that, but he also acted with impunity. And that's the thing that I think is most galling to the person who looks into this with any degree of detail, which is to say he was a convicted felon after 2008. And yet JP Morgan Chase, as one example, did not cut him off from their banking. As a matter of fact, they expanded and broadened their relationship with him after his felony conviction for a single count of child uh, of enticing a, a, a minor prostitute, which was a state law, not a federal law, although there was a 50 some count 
indictment prepared for federal law that would have put him in prison for the rest of his life. He was he was convicted on one count on a state beef. In any event, the, the point here is that uh, even after his felony conviction, which should have been put him away for life, but didn't for reasons which are obvious to, to those who are looking at this. But even after that, J.P. Morgan Chase continued to expand their relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Why? Because he was able to convince other extremely high net worth individuals to transfer their money from their bank to J.P. Morgan Chase. He was a whale who could attract other whales. The question you have to ask yourself, Jason, is why? Why was Jeffrey Epstein able to do that? Did he have, for example, something on these people? Because look, consider yourself. Have you ever tried to switch your bank account? What a pain in the neck that is, mm -hmm. right? Now imagine if you're worth 200, 300, 400, 500 million or two or $3 billion. How much more inconvenient is that? Why would you ever do that unless there was somebody with some sort of leverage over you? I don't know if that's what happened, but I would sure like to someone to be looking into it. That seems like a reasonable request. So this is one of the reasons why EpsteinJustice.com is urging every American, and I know that not every American is listening to Australian radio on Saturday afternoon. However, uh, we've got to spread the word however we can. And I hope that enough Australians are interested in this subject, that they'll go to EpsteinJustice.com or NickBryantNYC.com and find out for themselves some of the details about this, because uh, it's an issue that doesn't just affect the United States. Child trafficking is a global problem. And to the extent that the largest and most powerful country and arguably your closest ally is not willing to address this issue, that becomes a national security issue for Australia as well, in my opinion. Oh, look, indeed it does. And it is, a, obviously, it's a global problem. It's uh, the same resistance that we have here in Australia uh, that uh, doesn't want to look into it. There was a story here that you may or may not be aware of, of a list of names that's meant to be this uh, 28 or 26 names of uh, politicians and others that was released mm -hmm. in Parliament by uh, one particular uh, older um, uh, member of Parliament, um, uh, his name escapes me at the moment. I'll remember it in a minute. But um, the point there was that the um, on the research, the further research that I'd done on that, that there was already preparation uh, if that was to come out in the parliament to say that this particular member of parliament had the early signs of dementia and he didn't know what he was doing. There's always a way, is, is what I'm arguing here, for an excuse to justify not taking it a step further. Instead of saying, look, this is a very serious problem, we want to look at it a little bit further uh, and we'll start an investigation, even though you know that many of these investigations lead nowhere. It just seems that we're in a game. I'm just going to quickly consult again back to this particular bio of Epstein. I didn't read the last paragraph. It said, the Jeffrey Epstein Foundation is based out of St. Thomas in the US Virgin Islands and plays an increasingly active role in supporting youth and early education programs across the US Virgin Islands and the United States. If you believe that and you wrote that and you knew who Epstein was um, and, and you held a position of power, for mine, Pete, I think that those people also are complicit because there's no way in the world that you can get away with writing that unless you know how Epstein behaves. And therefore, um, if you look into trilateral commissions and Council on Foreign Relations, this is where the strings of the world are pulled in these uh, secret meetings that have now, we now see them a little bit less secret with the World Economic Forum, but it's the same cast of characters that turn up this globalist regime that is uh, intent on misinformation laws, digital ID for control, central bank digital currency to know exactly where we're spending our money. One wonders if this system is in place, it makes everyone suffer the penalty of being held 
being found guilty of a crime that they had nothing to do with in the first place. One wonders, therefore, that there must be an alternate system in the background to keep these businesses flourishing, those involving drug trafficking, human trafficking, etc. So it seems that there's still going to be a way to do it. It's just that the average general person is going to be treated as the criminal instead of the criminals themselves. Does that make you frustrated and angry that this situation is headed in the wrong direction, Pete? or treated as a commodity. I mean, the average person in the United States, and I assume Australia as well, is treated as a commodity. Our digital information is treated as a commodity. Our very, uh, our very existence is treated as a commodity to be bought, sold, traded. And, and yes, of course, that's frustrating. And I think if we believe that we live in democratic societies, then it is up to us to take the appropriate actions to drive our leadership to do the right thing. You know, I spent 36 years in various components of the United States Air Force, Jason. And I can tell you that the one thing that I learned in that 36 years, and the most important thing, is that the most important component of leadership is moral leadership. And we lack that in today's society, obviously. And so the absence of morality in our leadership and in our governmental organizations and the expediency with which we treat human beings is ultimately at the core of the rottenness and corruption that we're dealing with when we address these types of issues. So it's up to us, the American people and the Australian people and all free peoples to say enough. We have got to do something different. And what what is that different thing? Well, I would suggest that it's in our case and what we're advocating for at EpsteinJustice.com is for Congress to convene a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And that's a serious thing. That means that we throw open the archives. We look at what actually happened. We call witnesses. We take testimony and we find the facts. And for those who are guilty or who have, who are, uh, who are in fact uh, to blame and who took part in these atrocities against children, they should be held accountable. Maybe there's some way to reconcile so that uh, they can have some sort of life beyond whatever accountability is meted out to them. I don't know. But it needs to be bigger than just an investigation. It needs to be a, a societal reckoning. And that's only going to take place if enough people say enough is enough. Our children don't deserve to be treated like commodities and neither do we. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's kind of obvious, isn't it? And it seems like that you have to keep saying and telling and speaking the, the message left, right and centre until that one moment, that critical mass is reached, whether it is just one name at a time, one person at a time saying, you know what, this has now struck a chord with me. I'm going to go out there and do my own independent research. And that is a genuine thing that people can do. There is an unlimited amount of information that's out there that can be checked, verified, discussed and meet new people, new groups along the way, whatever it takes to be able to realize that you at home can make a contribution into how the planet evolves into the future that is without the shackles of this particular horrific system whereby characters such as Jeffrey Epstein rub shoulders with the rich and powerful elite seem to operate with impunity and when they go down no one else seems to bother and the whole system or or, or or business model just gets to go underground until another character emerges to take over this uh, incredibly lucrative as Lynn Shaw said in the previous hour business model that goes around the biggest crime in the world we're going to take one more break for the hour and when we come back we're going to learn more about Epstein justice and some of the success stories that 
we've already seen, particularly in civil matters involving payouts to some of the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. You're listening and watching the Weekends with Jason Alborn here on TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. The U.S. National Anthem. It should go without saying that when it plays, U.S. athletes stand at attention, put their hand over their heart and sing. But remember the women's national soccer team in 2020 and then last year in New Zealand at the World Cup? Here's some examples of that. Now compare those disrespectful displays to this year's USA junior hockey team after they defeated the home team of Sweden to win the gold last weekend. The contrast is stunning, and the U.S. women's soccer team and the whole organization should be forever shamed. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. You are loved. You are valued. You are resilient. You got this. You are there for them. We are here for you. Find free care guides at aarp.org slash care. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour, retired Lieutenant Colonel Pete Shin, also an Associate Director of EpsteinJustice.com. That is a website I would recommend putting into your favourites bar, bookmarking it, because it is somewhere where you want to go to get access to the latest information to find out how it is that justice can be achieved for the many, many victims of Jeffrey Epstein and the business model that seems to be involving many, many powerful people from around the world. But... The doors are shut on investigations, but it hasn't always been that way. There have been civil cases involving significant amounts of money, Pete. One of them, of course, was the case with the US Virgin Islands against JP Morgan. Can you fill us in on some of the details and perhaps explain how it is that JP Morgan still has a banking license? Well, I couldn't tell you. Uh, Jason, why J.P. Morgan Chase still has a banking license in the United States? What I do know for sure is that the U.S. Virgin Islands, the uh, the Attorney General for the U.S. Virgin Islands, filed suit against J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, alleging that the bank facilitated child sex trafficking within the U.S. Virgin Islands through the manipulation of of and through the banking 
for, by serving as the personal banker uh, for Jeffrey Epstein. And although the case didn't eventually, didn't ultimately go to trial, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase decided it would be in their compelling best interest to settle for $175 million. And so that's what they paid out to the U.S. Virgin Islands in order to make that case go away. But I would argue that J.P. Morgan Chase is among the most the most culpable entities for facilitating Epstein's crimes. And to the extent that they have faced essentially no accountability. Now, keep in mind, $175 million to J.P. Morgan Chase is roughly a, a rounding error on their annual balance sheet. It's the cost of doing business. It's no big deal. It's really no accountability whatsoever. And so when you look at the system that allowed uh, Jeffrey Epstein to operate with impunity, you have to look at the U.S. banking system as one aspect of that system, but by far not the only aspect. And we could talk uh, uh, in detail, if you'd like, with the time remaining about what some of those other aspects are. Please do. It's it's very important that we share as much information and detail. Our listeners are certainly uh, hungry for more information. So yeah, please go ahead. Well, I mean, for the other aspect of the system that allowed him to operate with impunity is, frankly, uh, the U.S. federal law enforcement system, mm -hmm. uh, which, on the one hand, in 2000, first of all, for those who are not familiar with how Jeffrey Epstein was originally convicted of a sex crime, a victim, a 14-year-old victim came forward in, uh, not Palm Springs, but in Palm Beach, which is a, a suburb of Miami, near where Jeffrey Epstein lived in Florida in 2005. As she came forward, she, she was able to help identify other victims and eventually dozens, in fact, scores of child victims came forward uh, to the Palm Beach police and told their tales. And the Palm Beach police were ready to go forward with, uh, with arresting him on child sex trafficking. Now, at that time, the district attorney for the county in which Epstein lived opened a grand jury rather than simply filing a charge sheet and arresting him. N not clear why they did that, but at the time it appeared that Epstein was going to avoid any accountability whatsoever. So the federal government swept in, uh, swooped in, and now we get to the part of Alex Acosta. I couldn't remember his first name earlier, but it was the district attorney for the Southern District of Miami, Alex Acosta, who led that office. Now, at this point, it's 2006, so it's already been a year after, after the first victim has come forward. They've been investigating him for a year. Now, the feds investigate him for another year. And then they negotiate with Epstein's attorneys, including the aforementioned Alan Dershowitz, for many more months after that. So keep in mind, between the time that the first victim came forward till the time that he was convicted was almost three years. Three years. And there were scores of victims. It's a failure, a fundamental failure of the federal law enforcement system. And one has to ask why. I'll go back to that earlier conversation that was reported where Alex Acosta said, hey, he was intelligence and it was above my pay grade. Mm -hmm. Now, when he came forth on July 10th, 2019, to try and defend his record, uh, and this was right before he was forced to resign because Jeffrey Epstein had just been arrested a second time, 
when Alex Acosta tried to defend this sweetheart deal that he gave Jeffrey Epstein, which allowed Jeffrey Epstein only a year in jail, allowed him to plead guilty to one state or two state charges, and allowed him to leave his jail cell every day to go to work for 12 hours, six days a week. That's the deal that, that Acosta helped broker. Why did Alex Acosta do that? He said, reportedly, that it was because Epstein was an intelligence asset. So I know I've brought that up before, but to me, it's just absolutely uh, chilling that we, the American people, aren't up in arms and demanding that we get some answers as to whether or not that was true, because Alex Acosta then later said nothing about that. Later, when he tried to defend his record before he was fired as labor secretary in the Trump administration, he said, well, it was the only deal that could be reached. The victims, they, some of them wanted money. They weren't reliable witnesses. It was all we could do. But that was obvious hogwash. There had to be some other reason besides, hey, I was getting pressure from high-powered attorneys. District attorneys in the federal system get pressure from high-powered attorneys all the time. Why in this specific case was Jeffrey Epstein allowed to walk? No one can give a legitimate answer to that question that makes any sense. And that is why, Jason, this issue continues to resonate with the American people and why it obviously stirs great uh, outrage among them, including myself. And that's why if you do happen to be an American listening to this, by all means, and if you're an Australian as well, go to epsteinjustice.com, ask us for more information. And if you're an American, fill out the form that asks your member of Congress to take part and help get behind a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to get answers to this and other important questions about this matter. It's hard to believe, isn't it, when you, when you consider the way this has played out, that uh, that Alex Acosta there handing or putting his hands up and saying, well, he's an intelligence asset, it's beyond my pay grade, that officially he's given the green light to Epstein crimes. And one has to then argue that if you're having six days, 12 hours a day on work release, therefore he was only really ever required to turn up and sleep in the prison and then get out the next day and off he went again. And only on perhaps one day a week was meant to stay there for the 24-hour period as some sort of punishment punishment, then that says that Epstein had the power to do it. Not enough power to be able to get himself off, but just enough power in the situation to make it look like he was being punished when uh, obviously that wasn't the case. He was being given special treatment for, for one reason or another, but enough that he wouldn't talk and enough that he would get back into business. Um, we've only got about seven minutes left and we haven't talked about uh, another name, a big name that's been connected and still comes up. And that's the one of Bill Gates. Uh, it's a huge story that when you track back to the New York Times around 2012, Gates was pictured with Epstein and they were doing business together. He uh, He's fudged uh, quite a few dates that he was still doing business with uh, Epstein. His divorce with his wife, Melinda, was apparently over the relationship with Epstein that Gates wasn't prepared to give up rumours of affairs with um, uh, young Russian women for Gates. And the, basically the Gates that we see in the public, this so-called benefactor with his hands moving and pretending that he's something special and uh, and that somehow he's, he's got a medical training and he's he's elected as, as, as the CEO of America or something. Uh, he has none of these qualifications. He's simply a businessman put into a very powerful position, happy to do business with known criminals, even to the point where he asked Epstein to get him to meet the former 
Norwegian prime minister and take a trip over there, which for his only one reason is to uh, to get himself a Nobel Peace Prize. And that was part of that deal. How do you rationalise the behaviour of Gates and yet another Teflon-coated human being that seems to never, ever, ever face any scrutiny? Well, he's not the only one. I mean, we talked on a break about former President Bill Clinton. Uh, we talked about, uh, we haven't talked about a whole range of other potential personalities that were associated uh, with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. And what the official position would, what mainstream media, I've read millions of articles on this subject, and what most of the media would like to have you believe is that Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell were loan operators that no one else was involved in any of their, frankly, horrendous crimes, that no one else, none of the circles that they operated in had any idea about the criminal behavior that they were involved in. And that's strange credulity. In fact, it's unbelievable. And this is another reason why most people who look at this issue with any degree of clarity say this simply isn't right. We're being told by the government that two plus two should equal five here. But in fact, why shouldn't two plus two equal four? These people were known associates of Epstein for years, even after his criminal conviction for, for child sex offenses. And yet they face no consequences whatsoever, no accountability, no reckoning. Why? Again, it suggests a system that doesn't operate on behalf of the American people and certainly one that doesn't protect victims in any way. And that's unacceptable, or it should be, I think, to the vast majority of Americans. On a slightly different note, as we come to the end of our interview, our allotted time today, Pete, it was your grown children that brought this to your attention. What I was hoping to ask is, on a personal note, now that you're involved the way that you are with EpsteinJustice.com, when you have those dinner table conversations with your children today, how do you now discuss it? They must look at you and go, Dad, wow, this is a big deal that you've done. We're proud of you um, and perhaps working out different ways. I just want to get this feeling because I think that every dinner table conversation uh, could be on a similar note, adult children talking to parents uh, in a way to say, you know what, we're not happy with the world we're living in and we're going to follow this example that we've learned today from Pete Shin. Well, I wish that it were that simple. And, you know, uh, I love my children very much and I know they love me and I'm, I'm proud of all four of them. And what I'll tell you, though, is that they know that they face a world that doesn't seem quite right to them, a system that doesn't seem that it is working in their best interests. That seems in many cases to be stacked against them. And they see what I'm doing as in some ways tilting at a windmill because their feeling is that these large scale systems that allow crimes like this to go, in fact, unpunished and to happen with impunity suggest to them that the system does not work for them, that democracy doesn't work for them, that America doesn't work for them. And I wish I could tell you a more optimistic a sense for what my children believe about the United States. And yet, at the same time, they're having to go out there in the world, they're having to make a living, they're having to do their own thing. I'm tremendously proud of all of them. They're all independent people who are doing what they think is right. And I think from their standpoint, this issue is probably a little too big for them, but they're glad that I'm looking at it. 
wonderful, isn't it, that they can bring something to you and realise that this is really dad's business, but at the end of the day, people have got to step up one way or another. I have a little bit of a, a political fantasy or fairy tale that I'll share with you. I do share it regularly on this show, but um, I, I have this strange feeling that Trump's going to win this thing in a landslide. He will return to the human trafficking agenda, amongst others, that he started with, but he's going to have to have a search for a legitimate brand new attorney general with the willingness to do the work that wasn't done over the past. He had, what, three of them uh, in his last term. I think he's going to do some fantastic search looking for someone who won't be a Republican. He's going to look through the Democrats. He won't find one there either. And he's going to arrive at this um, independent fellow called Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And people think that I might be crazy, but I think that there is something in that. The fact that they don't talk publicly, but they did have a um, a meeting in the early ages, stages of his first term in office where they were going to take on Bill Gates and they didn't get around to it. Trump played for Gates in that situation, which makes no sense because then he pulled out of the WHO. And I think that the first thing order of business for Kennedy would be to release the rest of those JFK files, which will put one of the intelligence agencies front and centre as culpable and responsible for the death of his uncle. And I think that's the starting point for it all. So I hope and pray that maybe this is one such scenario. In many cases, Occam's razor, the simplest way is the best that we can get some real action here, which will be the difference when people realise that they've been taken for a ride by those that they've trusted their entire lives and they go the other way and realise that the truth will set us free and you only need willing participants to be able to do it with no vested interests. Pete Shin, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It's been a wonderful delight and privilege to uh, be able to chat with you on weekends and also to talk about EpsteinJustice.com. Thanks very much. I wish you all the best and I hope that we can catch up again soon and we can deliver further updates on good news surrounding Epstein Justice for all of the victims. Well, we're going to take a break and be back with uh, a brand new guest, Bruce de Torres, one of our own after the break here on Weekends. You're watching and listening to TNT.